Hello everyone, I'm Ronnie McBrayer, and I thank you for finding my podcast. Here you will find my regular talks, the occasional interview, hopefully a little light from the Enneagram time to time, and hear conversations with friends on the ever-changing, ever-evolving nature of faith. If you are burned out on religion, to quote Eugene Peterson's marvelous paraphrase, but your faith is still important to you, or if you consider yourself a spiritual exile with no real place of belief to call home, then I have you especially in mind, and I hope you'll stick around. Like a bird on a wire, like a drunk in a midnight choir, I have tried in my way to be free. Those are words that Chris Christopherson plans to have engraved in his gravestone when that time comes. Christopherson is one of the great songwriters of his generation, but he did not compose the line that he loved so much. Like a bird on a wire, like a drunk in a midnight choir, I have tried in my way to be free. That is a line written by Leonard Cohen and found on his second album, 1967 Songs from a Room, side A, track number one. Leonard Cohen did not set out to be a songwriter or a stage performer. He began his career as a poet, as a writer of fiction. He most wanted to be an author. He published a couple of books in the 1950s and the early 1960s with little success, if you can imagine. He felt like a failure, moving toward his mid-30s with his career, ambitions derailed if those ambitions had even left the station. He met Barbara Rothschild at a party. He discovered she owned an elaborate house on the Greek island of Hydra in the Aegean Sea that was a kind of artist colony. Leonard Cohen left for Hydra that very week hoping to use that house as a writing retreat. In time, he used a $1,500 inheritance from his grandmother's will to buy a home there. He loved how reclusive the island was. It was only accessible by boat. There were no cars on the island in the early 1960s, no telephones, no electricity. And then it happened. Civilization came to Hydra. For the first time ever, power poles started to get planted all over the little rocky outcrop with electrical and telephone lines getting strung up all over the place. And Leonard Cohen hated it. In a 1993 interview, he said, you don't notice telephone poles now, but when they first went up, it was all that I did. I stared out the window at these telephone wires and thought how the world had caught up with me and I wasn't going to be able to escape after all. I said to Mary Ann, his girlfriend at the time, we have to leave now. We have to find another island to live on. And Mary Ann said, if a bird can get used to the wire, Leonard, you can get used to the wire. So of course I started to notice that birds came to the wires, and that was how that song began. Like a drunk in a midnight choir, that's also from Hydra. Drinkers, me included, would come up the stairs. And the village had great tolerance for that because it would be in the middle of the night and you'd see three guys with their arms around each other 
stumbling up the stairs and singing these impeccable harmonies. Like a bird on a wire became at once both a prayer and an anthem. It says, I've tried and I've messed up like everybody else. Sometimes life seems meaningless, but I gave it my all. And effort really counts. I wonder if Leonard Cohen unconsciously was channeling Viktor Frankl. I'm moving from Jewish songwriter and poet to Jewish physician, psychologist, and Holocaust survivor. Viktor Frankl was born 120 years ago in Austria, an absolute brilliant man. He started taking college courses at night when he was barely 13 years old. He published his first scientific paper at 19. He completed medical school with a degree in neurology by the age of 25 and began groundbreaking psychiatric work, something he called logotherapy, where others believed that the main human motivation was to gain power or to experience pleasure or it was simply instinct. He believed that the driving force of human personality is meaning. We are all in search of meaning. We must find purpose for our existence. That is life itself, Frankel concluded. Victor began to work on a book to capture his thoughts. It was a book entitled Doctrine of the Soul. His wife, Tilly, sewed the words of that book into the lining of his winter coat because it became apparent with his high profile that the Nazis would come for him. And they did. In 1942, married less than a year, he, his wife, his father, his mother, and his brother were taken by the SS and deported to the concentration camps. His father died of starvation. His mother and brother died in the gas chambers at Auschwitz. His wife died of typhus at Bergen-Belsen. Victor survived after spending three years in four different concentration camps. He lost everything, including that winter coat that held his most important writing, and he almost lost his mind. Here was a man whose life's work was to search for and to provide meaning, purpose for living one's life. He had said and he had taught that, quote, if you have a why to live, you can endure almost any how or what life gives you. And now here he was, suffering the most heinous, the most ridiculous, the most meaningless suffering and trial that the Western world had ever seen, the greatest single piece of injustice ever committed against a group of people by scope. How would, how could his work hold up in such circumstances? And for a season, he didn't know if it could. Racked with despair, depression, loneliness, grief, he had a profound spiritual experience, a breakthrough in the camps. I'll read to you two paragraphs. You'll have the second one on the slide in a moment. These are his words from his experience. We were at work in a trench. The dawn was gray around us. Gray was the sky above, gray the snow 
gray the rags in which my fellow prisoners were clad and gray their faces. I was conversing silently within myself with my wife, or perhaps I was struggling to find the reason for my sufferings, my slow dying. In a last violent protest against the hopelessness of imminent death, I sensed my spirit piercing the gloom. I felt it transcend that hopeless, meaningless world. And from somewhere, I heard a victorious yes in answer to the question of an ultimate purpose. At that moment, a light was lit in a distant farmhouse which stood on the horizon as if painted there. In the midst of the miserable gray, the light shineth in the darkness. For hours, I stood there hacking at the icy ground. The guard passed by, insulting me. But my mind clung to my wife's image. I heard her answering me, saw her smile, her encouraging look. Real or not, she was more luminous than the sun. More and more I felt that she was present, that she was with me. I had the feeling that I was able to touch her, able to stretch out my hand and grasp hers. Then at that very moment, a bird flew down silently and perched just in front of me and looked steadily up at me. For the first time in my life, I was able to understand the words, the angels are lost in perpetual contemplation of an infinite glory. Viktor Frankl went on to rewrite the book he had lost at Auschwitz, having survived the camps. He added a new chapter at the end, one that recounted his experience in the concentration camps, and his publisher insisted that the final chapter become a book of its own. It became man's search for meaning and is consistently regarded as one of the most profound and impactful pieces of literature from the 20th century. And the text I read to you seems to always be the one that inspires various illustrators. I pulled up multiple copies of the book today. Every cover of the book in the latter half of the 20th century has a bird perched on a wire. And it's not a telephone wire. It's not an electrical wire. It's a barbed wire. It's the wire of the concentration camp. And for me, I don't think that Leonard Cohen could have written that song without this well-known story from a fellow Hebrew being laying somewhere subconsciously in his mind. In the most miserable of places, a bird can still fly. On the darkest morning, a bird can still sing. At the most hateful time, a reason to persist can still land and look around and flutter its wings. In the most inhumane set of circumstances, one can still find meaning in life. Like a bird on a wire, like a drunk in a midnight choir, I have tried in my way to be free. And that effort really counts. So let me move from Jewish songwriter and poet to Jewish physician, psychologist, 
and Holocaust survivor to Jewish philosopher, king, and teacher. The teacher is the author of the book of Ecclesiastes. And like his Hebrew brothers who would live centuries later, the teacher, which is the literal rendering of the word Ecclesiastes, went searching for meaning. And he has a lot of fun at a cocktail party, if you didn't notice his words. Traditionally, this teacher is regarded as King Solomon. He lived an adventurous life, crown prince, king, sage, temple builder, Bible thumper, hedonist, adulterer, vengeance taker, murderer. He played all of those roles and many more. And he comes to the end of his life, and that's where some scholars feel this text comes from, and much of the light has been driven from his eyes. He comes across as a discouraged man in need of redemption, absolution of some kind. But it's really worse than that. He's more than discouraged. He's jaded. He's hardened by time, by life, by experience. He has become a cynic. His search has come up empty. The theme of Ecclesiastes, if you didn't catch it, is a single word, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Or as the old translations put it, vanity. Vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. The Hebrew word is hyvel, emptiness, uselessness. And the word spits out sounding just like it feels. Hyvel. It is used about 60 times in the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament, and more than 30 of those uses are by the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, everything is meaningless. And that is just the opening salvo of this book. And it's repeated over and over again. Life is meaningless. Pleasure, meaningless. Success, meaningless. Wisdom, meaningless. Being a human being, meaningless. Dreaming of something better, meaningless. Money, meaningless. Laughter, meaningless. Everything under the sun is useless and meaningless. Now, scholars call Ecclesiastes the origins of Jewish existentialism. Let's get a hold of that word for just a minute. It's a philosophical concept. More so, it is an approach to living one's life. As the name implies in the root of the word, it is a question of existence. Why are we here? What are we doing with our lives? How shall we live? And the existentialist says, we are all free, autonomous individuals responsible for our own lives and for creating purpose and for making meaning out of our existence. No one else can do that for you. Not your parents, not your school, not your government, not your religion, not your spouse or your children, not even your God. If you're going to discover and uncover real significance, it will be your personal journey. It will be your individual task. It will be your responsibility. You have to find your own sustaining reasons for being alive. Now, I suppose I ascribe to this philosophy and have since I first read Soren Kierkegaard in college followed shortly after by Viktor Frankl, and having been schooled in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. The short of that means this. The world makes no sense to me sometimes. Can you say amen? 
the world is largely insane. Life is absurd. And there's not a whole lot I can do about it. Nor can I wait for someone to magically come along with the perfect formula, the perfect religion, the perfect politics, the perfect scientific hypothesis, the perfect ideology, the perfect moral code that will sort out everything nice and neat so that everything is in its place and there is a place for everything. It is up to me. It is up to us. It is up to all of us to enter into the absurdity of living to see the world for how it truly is, to discover who we truly are, and then to live authentic, grounded, meaningful lives in spite of the preposterous world that surrounds us. If you're waiting to find meaning for your life by looking out there, you will never find it. Meaning is made from within. It's an inside job. Now, do not mishear or misrepresent what I'm saying. It is meaning that we are searching for, purpose that we need, not sense. Some things will never make sense in your life. It's not the search for answers. Some questions have no answers. Some situations have no solutions. It's not a quest for explanation, resolution, fulfillment, or closure. In your life, you may never find reconciliation with your past. You may never find perfect love in your future. You may never be rescued from your current circumstances or be granted a reprieve from your sufferings. One could live his or her entire life and find none of those things. But that doesn't mean that life is useless or hopeless or meaningless. There is more. There has to be more if we are going to keep from going insane or giving up completely. Ecclesiastes is the object lesson. You read this book, just that first chapter that Anna read, and you have to ask, how did these rabbis, how did these faithful scribes keep this feckless, nihilistic book in the Bible? It's so bleak and pessimistic, but the pessimism is the point. The cynicism is the point. When you go searching for real meaning to your life, the one precious existence that you have, superficial things will not hold up. Big houses, big money, having a big time, in the end, big deal. They can't bear the weight of purpose. They aren't conduits for the essence of living, accomplishments, college degrees, conquests, careers. Go for it. But don't expect any of these to make life worth living. You're going to have to go further than that. You're going to have to dig deeper than that. You're going to have to do better than that. You're going to have to search longer than that. There is purpose, there is meaning, there is reason and worthiness to be found, but it's not found in what we usually put so much value in. Ultimately, that's the conclusion of of Ecclesiastes. You mean to summarize the book for you in one sentence? It's all going to hell, 
So eat good, drink good, love the people around you, and find something to do that you enjoy. There it is. Now, that ain't a bad prescription for finding meaning in your life. Well, that seems so routine. Yes, that's where you find it. And it's right there with the attitude that you take toward the one life that you have been given. That was Viktor Frankl's conclusion as well. And we're going to spend a few Sundays with him and his cynical forebear, the writer of Ecclesiastes. But I'll finish this introduction by talking about your attitude. The most important determinator of whether or not you will find meaning in your life will not be your net worth. It will not be your chosen vocation. It will not be whether you had children or didn't have children. It won't be your age, your marital status, your race, your place in society, your gender, your politics, your sexuality, your religion, your core beliefs, your values, or how whether or not you're getting everything out of life that you hope to get. It will be your attitude. This is Viktor Frankl's single most quoted sentence. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. People usually stop reading there. Let's read a little further. It is clear that you cannot control what happens to you in this life, but you can always control what you will do about what happens to you. For example, in the concentration camps, in this living laboratory, and on this testing ground, we watched and witnessed some of our comrades behave like swine, while others behaved like saints. Humans have both potentialities. Which one is actualized depends on your decisions, not on conditions. Man is that being who invented the gas chambers of Auschwitz. However, he is also that being who entered those same gas chambers upright with dignity and the Lord's prayer on his lips. Like a bird on a wire, like a drunk in a midnight choir, I have tried in my way to be free. This is both a prayer and an anthem. It says, try Yes, you will mess up like everybody else. Yes, sometimes life will seem meaningless, but give it your all. The effort and the attitude really count. 